Christmas is one of the most beautiful times of the year, isn't it? Some people think it is truly the most wonderful time of the year. But for others, Christmas is not quite as wonderful. For them, it might even be a dark, troubling time that they can't wait to be done with. You know, just get through the month of December is how they look at it. For them, Christmas season is a time of maybe loneliness or grief or or maybe extra stress and financial pressures they would rather do without. I spoke about that last weekend at the end of each of our, our shows, that Christmas season is sometimes a difficult time of year. Are you one of those people? Uh, if so, I hope that the message today will speak to your heart and, and bring, bring some peace to you as, uh, as we open the Word of God together today. You know, I'm uh, feeling some of those sad feelings myself this year um, with my father's passing in October. It's kind of a different time of life, isn't it? And uh, you know that it's, it's a season that you go through. Uh, there's a lot of joy in my life right now, and Christmas is one of my favorite times of year. But this year, there's kind of this melancholy, you know, that kind of settled in. At times, it, it just kind of uh, raises up its head a little bit. I say, oh, man, I'm feeling a little melancholy today. Um, my father have, and I have not spent Christmas together for a long time, uh, many years, but I, I know that I always call him on Christmas Day, so I don't get to do that this year, and it reminds me that every Sunday night for the last eight years, I've called him, just about every Sunday night. That's our time to reconnect, you know, and how has your week been? What are you looking forward to this coming week? And we would kind of catch up with each other every Sunday night, and so for those Sunday nights since October... I've, I've come home from choir practice, it's like, what do I do with myself, you know? <laughs> you know, I can't make that call to my dad, and uh, so I just thank God for his life and, and then go on with whatever else is happening. You know, my melancholy is not unique, is it? All of us go through some times like that in our lives. You may have some other kind of pain or loss in your life that you have to deal with. Maybe you know, you're just buried under a mountain of financial problems right now. And I, you know, I don't know everybody's life, what's going on, but it just may be, you know, that things are just overwhelming to you financially. You can't afford to give the presents you'd like to give or maybe any presents at all. Um, maybe there's some strain in a relationship that you have, maybe within your family or within your workplace. And, and you know, so just life is stressful relationship-wise, and if it's in your family, you're thinking, you know, Christmas is a time family comes together and we all just have a bunch of fun. And, you know, you're not really anticipating seeing some of them this year. Maybe there's a medical thing going on, you know, in your life or maybe one of your family members. And so this diagnosis that kind of threatens your health or, or the health of a loved one. So when these things happen, whatever it may be going on now or three months ago, whenever you went through this, you know, what do you do about that? Where are you going to turn for help? Where are you going to turn for help? Now, we've been talking for two weeks about worship and how we can just keep growing as worshipers because none of us have this perfected yet. All of us are still growing. We've been talking about the postures of worship, like, for instance, humility or surrender. And, and not just being this, this bold worshiper, you know, that just comes in here with a bunch of bravado, you know, and, you know, I'm just doing my own thing and it's something I enjoy. 
but coming into worship with a different posture than that. And one of the postures that's necessary for true worship is honesty. One of the postures is transparency, this, this genuineness, this openness, being real with God, bringing everything that we are, everything that we're feeling, everything that we're going through into this moment of worship, whether it's here with everyone else or private moment of worship. So that's one of the postures we want to talk about. This is opening our hearts, pouring out our hearts before God. Do you remember what Jesus said about worship in John 4? He said this, he said, True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. That's John 4, 23 and 24. So we've been looking into these different aspects of worship. We've talked about uh, being able to come to worship by lifting our holy hands to God. This was a, a physical posture of worship, but also a kind of a, a mental or emotional posture of worship that we realize this is God that we're coming for and we're bringing it for Him. And we've talked about bringing our gifts to God, not only our financial gifts, but also who we are, our very lives before God. And today we talk about pouring out our hearts. And the next Sunday, the Sunday before Christmas, we're going to be talking about bowing our knees. Again, a physical aspect, but also an emotional aspect or posture of worship. The wise men are our model this time. And the wise men, we know, came a great distance at such great expense to themselves because they longed to connect with God. They wanted to be part of whatever God was doing in the world. And even though they were not Jews from Israel, they recognized something new was happening, something that they wanted to be a part of. And when they saw this new star, this special star, they immediately felt this longing, this call to go and worship this new king that had been born. And so they arrive in Jerusalem and they end up in Bethlehem and they find Jesus and they worship him by bowing their knees and worshiping and presenting their gifts. And I think they came at such a long distance, at such great expense, because there was something inside of them that they wanted to get out before God. There was this longing to connect, a longing to praise. They were seeking God. And as they sought Him, they poured out their hearts and their hearts' longings in worship. So pouring out our hearts to God is our theme for today. And I want you to think about just this idea of pouring out. Now, maybe you're, you're fixing something for dinner. Maybe you're watering a plant. And you've got this pitcher full of water, and, and you're getting ready to pour it out, and that action of that, and the vessel that we become as we pour out our hearts before God. Imagine that we have this open container. It's not a sealed container so that the liquid can't leave it, but it's an openness, an openness to our hearts to see and to, to, to know everything that is inside those hearts. This is the action of, of acknowledging and confessing who we are. Whatever it is that's inside of us comes out when we pour out our heart. And some of it's good, some of it's not so good. Some of it is pleasing to us and some of it is not pleasing. Some is pleasing to God, some is not pleasing to God. 
But when we worship Him, we don't hold anything back. We don't say, well, this part you know, is off limits. But we open up and we sh- share freely with God. And we share uh, with transparency what is there. No filtering, no coloring of what is in our hearts in order to make us look good. Pretense is taken away. And transparency comes as we worship Him this way. So this morning we're going to read two of the Psalms. Now maybe you haven't got into the Psalms very much, but today we're going to look at a few of these. These two Psalms were probably both written by King David. We know the first one was for sure. We think also the second. And if you read the front of the bulletin this morning, you know that we were asking this question, what made David a man after God's own heart? What was it that the Bible would give him this this moniker, this title, he was a man after God's own heart. You know, was it his leadership skills? Was it that he was this great military genius or warrior? Was it his ability musically to write psalms and and songs of praise that still inspire us today? Was it his his, uh, uh, skill as a musician, you know, to play and to sing in such a way that King Saul with his tormented soul would be soothed and calmed? by David's music. Is this what made him a man after God's own heart? Well, I'm convinced it's none of these things, as great as those things are. Rather, what made David a man after God's own heart was his honest, uninhibited pursuit of God. That at the core of his being, he wanted to know God, and he wanted to know God intimately. He wanted to know God passionately. That David was real as he came before God, and he, he was honest about who he was. He expressed his emotions freely, no matter what they were. And some of the Psalms, you know, you really bring this out, you know, he's up high or he's down low or he's, he's feeling great or he's, he's so discouraged that he's reached the point of, you know, despair. And it all comes out as David worships God. And he could do this because God already knew what he was feeling. It wasn't like you're going to reveal something new that God doesn't know. And so David is acknowledging, God, you know me. This is where I am. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. And I bring it all before you as I worship you. So let's go first of all over to Psalm 142. Now the Bible says this is a maskal. Of David, if you have NIV version that I do, and a maskal is kind of a, a odd thing. A maskal is just a contemplative song or prayer, a time of meditation, thinking about your life. So that's the description. Thirteen of the the uh, Psalms have that, and my Bible also says this was a prayer or psalm that he gave when he was in a cave. Wait a minute. The first time I read that, it was, okay, David was in a cave. Why was in a cave? What's going on here? He was hiding from King Saul, probably. If you know anything about their history, it goes back to when David was just a boy, maybe just a very young teenager, and he's anointed by the prophet as the next king. Now, Saul doesn't know this, thankfully, but David knows that he's next in line, and he's, he's waiting for his opportunity, and he ends up waiting, I think, about 16 years before he becomes king, after he knows he's going to be king. And meanwhile, Saul is kind of, you know, Saul is, is uh, losing things. He's, he's losing his mind. He's losing his, his uh, relationship with the Lord, and eventually he loses his life. 
And in between, in those years, Saul loves David that he has these abilities. He has military abilities that, that help the nation win their battles. And he has musical abilities that soothe Saul's mind and soul. And yet he hates him because of this rivalry that, that develops, this, this competition, this, this uh, jealousy over David's abilities and how much the people love him. And then so Saul just wants to be rid of him. And in fact, he tries several times to kill him. Uh, he chases him, never is able to catch him and to kill him. Uh, but he spends a lot of time and energy doing this. And when one of these times David is in a cave hiding for his life and wondering when God is going to show up, and he writes these words in Psalm 142 at this time. Read them with me, please. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint before I tell him. Before him, I tell my trouble. Now, think about that for a minute. You complain to God? Do you ever complain to God? Anybody? Are you very honest with God? You know, some of this is kind of shocking to me, kind of surprising. It's almost like we lose respect for God. Let's go ahead and just tell him everything we think about him. You know, I'm, I'm upset with you, God. I'm angry that you didn't come through yet. I'm, just, I, I'm upset that you didn't listen. You didn't know, uh, you know, uh, answer my prayer the way I wanted answered. David's not afraid to say anything to God. Whatever's in his mind, what's in his heart, he's going to bring it to God. I think that's a very, very good quality. Verse 3, when my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. This is where David is. He's feeling totally, utterly alone. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. David is very quick to cry out to the Lord, and we need to be just as quick. Whatever's going on, he cries out to the Lord. He airs even his complaints about his life and what is happening. He acknowledges his pain. He confesses his troubles. He pours out his heart before the God. And even when his thoughts are dark, when he's in such anguish of spirit that he could hardly see straight, he was, he was sincere in sharing what he was thinking and feeling. I want your prayers and my prayers to be like that, don't you? I don't want pretense. I don't want you know, some other uh, thing you know, to make myself look good before God, but to be honest and forthright about our prayers. Notice also that David says his only refuge was the Lord. No one else is concerned for me. He says, I have no refuge except you, Lord. And what is in the background of this word refuge? Well, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know about the law that was given to Moses, you know about the Exodus and Deuteronomy, you know that there were these cities set aside for refuge. Six different cities were set aside where a person could run to if they were in trouble, particularly if they felt like somebody might hunt them down. And specifically, the cities of refuge were set aside for somebody that had accidentally killed someone else. Maybe there was an accident. Maybe you know people just got into this situation, one of them died, and a family member is coming after the person that survived. He could run to the city of refuge, and he would be safe until this this case could be tried. They could sort it out 
and decide who is at fault and, and whether there was any fault, really. But he was protected in that city of refuge. Maybe this is in David's mind. Maybe it's just the whole idea of a place that you could go to for security and safety. Children know about that, don't they? Don't all children have a place, you know, where they run to? Maybe it's the closet, you know. Maybe it's just their bedroom and they get behind the door and feel, okay, I'm safe. Whatever's going on. Or maybe it's just the blanket they carry around with us, you know, that it brings security to them. We even call it their security blanket. You know, and, and isn't this what all of us need? We all need refuge at different times in our lives. David says God is his only refuge. Now, I know we can help each other. I know parents support their kids. I know that we support one another, and I'm not trying to deny any of that. But ultimately, God is our only refuge, and God will never be taken away from us. We can run to him at any time. Have you developed such a relationship with God that he is your refuge? If not, there's a good place to begin this. God is my refuge, my only refuge. He is my place of security. He is my place of safety. It's a big mistake when we try and put that in, you know, the security and that confidence in other people because they may let you down and probably will at some point. Put our safety or security in our possessions. If I can just get enough money, I'll feel secure. That's a false hope, isn't it? You know, no matter how much you get, it could be taken away. It would not be enough to satisfy the needs of your life, not just materially, but eternally, spiritually. God alone can be our refuge. How honest do you think you can be with God? Have you ever complained to God about your situation? The same way that you would complain to a friend who said, how are you really? <laughs> David felt it was good to air whatever was going on in his life. Whatever was in his mind, he didn't hold anything back. And sometimes our prayers are, are kind of guarded. And God says, let's drop the guard. Let's pour out our heart. If we feel embarrassed, if we feel shamed, if we feel you know, uncomfortable, if we feel fearful, if we feel lonely, if we feel depressed, and we never have been a depressed person before, that this is a time to bring it before God and know that He is our refuge. There's a great modern example of this in our own congregation. Her name is Miss Rose, Rose Tice. Now, she's not with us anymore because she's down in Louisa recovering from a broken hip. But I remember these conversations that I've had with her where she talks about her prayer life. And she was telling Jane and I were down there visiting her. She's telling us about all these things she says to God. Sometimes she complains to God. She'll just say, God, I don't like what you're doing. I don't like what you're, what, you know, how you're answering my prayer. You know, where, what, what are you doing here? And he says, she says, I just complained to him about this. She tells God exactly how she's feeling. I pour out before him my complaint, David says. But Rose also tells you that God comes through, that God never leaves her, that God has often answered prayers differently than she wanted, but she was satisfied later with the answer. So she has this very simple, straightforward conversation with God day after day. I want you to take just a moment before we go on with the rest of the sermon. Take a moment, get kind of within yourself and within your time with God. Maybe just bow your head, close your eyes. 
I want you to take a moment right now just to acknowledge to God that no one else can provide the safety and security that he can for your life. Just go into uh, this time of prayer and thank God that he is your refuge. That he is the one place you can always go and thank him for that. Thank you for doing that. You know, that, that doesn't, there's no situation, there's no circumstance of your life where that same moment, uh, you know, could not be achieved. You know, whatever else is going on, to stop for that moment and realize that God is our refuge is so important. And I want you to learn, I want me to learn this posture of worship, of this humble heart confessing whatever's on and going on inside of us. You know, it may be good, may be bad, may be ugly. But you know, just to be real before God is such an important part of our worship. You know, we've talked about lifting up our hands, our lives to God expectantly. We've talked about bringing our gifts to God and ourselves to God, thankfully. Worship is also crying out to God in our pain and our longings transparently. This transparency, this honesty is so important to our worship. Let's look at a second psalm together. Psalm 42. Flip over to Psalm 42. Listen to the imagery of this psalm. See the word pictures that the psalmist paints. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet my God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul? Are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. From the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his life, his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? <laughs> Ever been there? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? You know, where is your God now? Why, my soul? Are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. 
as you cry out to God, remember two things. First of all, remember that God is faithful. Remember His faithfulness to you in the past. Remember that as you've cried out to Him, that often God has shown up. God has been there. God has been faithful to you. All believers, you know, have the experiences, various believers of the faithfulness of God. When has God been there for you? At what moment? Perhaps you remember, of course, as a Christian, when God forgave you and the weight of your sin. You remember maybe when God answered a very specific prayer. You put it out there. You put it on the line and you say, God, I really need this right now. When no one else could have done what he did, God did it. And you know it was God, nobody else. Maybe you remember this broken relationship that you had, this healing that was needed between you and another person, and God came and he somehow brought you back together. Maybe you remember when you were hurting and all alone, the tremendous loneliness of that moment, and God never left you. Maybe you remember when you came to church one time and the message that was preached that day was just for you. (laughs) You thought, how in the world did you know that? I've had people come up and ask me that before. I said, I I didn't know, you know. But God knew. And some word that was spoken, maybe even words that I didn't say or that preacher didn't say, still were directed at you. God was answering what you needed in that moment. Maybe you remember when God gave you or your friends or your church a miracle. (laughs) You thought, I can't believe that. That, That's just beyond what I ever thought would happen. Maybe you remember when God opened a door, when there was no door. You know, it was just sealed off. And suddenly, something you never knew about, something you never imagined, opened up before you. As you cry out to God in your current moment, in your current circumstance, remember what God has done for you and how faithful He has been to you. Sometimes I I encourage people to keep a little prayer journal, you know, and write down answers to prayer because at other moments you need to go back. You need to read those again and say, you know, you know, three months ago I remember where I was and I remember what God did. You may be at the lowest time you have ever been in your life right now. I don't know. But remind yourself that God has never forsaken you or abandoned you. And it will help you to hold on to him in your present circumstances. (laughs) I like what somebody did with the acrostic of the word hope. Simply, they put it this way. Hold on, pray every day. (laughs) And sometimes that's what hope is. The second thing I want you to do as you pour out your heart to God, as you cry out to Him, trust in God's promises for the future, your future. Trust Him that as He was faithful in the past, He will be faithful from now on. You are dealing with all kinds of issues in your life, and so am I. But God has promised He will never leave us or forsake us. You may be facing medical issues or financial issues or loneliness or grief. But you, want, you, want, you need to know that God has your back, that God will not leave you. Do you remember hearing or reading what Moses said as he's getting ready to leave the scene? He knows that his death is just around the corner. So he speaks to Israelites and to Joshua for the last time. It's recorded for us in Deuteronomy 31. And he says this to them. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of your enemies. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. 
And then he summoned Joshua, and he said to him, very individualistically, you know, just right to you, you're going to be leading this people. And he said, you, be strong and courageous. For you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them. And you must divide it among them as an inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you. And he will be with you. For he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. These are the parting words of Moses to Joshua. Now, I said that we were looking at two psalms this morning, but I want us to look at one more before we go, and that's in Psalm 102. Psalm 102 is the prayer of an afflicted man, whether it's David or not, a man who is lying awake at night. He is so disheartened that he's just laying there looking up at the ceiling, and he's praying this prayer to God. He's spending the night maybe in worry and, and, and dread, maybe despair. And so he offers up this prayer to God, and I want to read parts of it with you. Listen, hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am distressed. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. For my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. You've been there, right? In my distress, I groan aloud and am reduced to skin and bones. I am like a desert owl, like a bird alone, uh, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I've become like a bird alone on a roof. All day long, my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse. For I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears because of your great wrath. Before you have taken me up and you've thrown me aside. This is how he's feeling My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come. Did you notice verse 12? Very important thing. But you, Lord. Here's where I am. Here's what I'm feeling. But you, Lord. Now, skip down. Skip down to verse 26. They will perish. He's talking about the earth and the heavens, everything that we would know physically. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them and they will be discarded. But you remain the same and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. Psalmist is crying out to God. He's saying, my life is falling apart. I'm, I'm watching you know, things just disintegrate here. I don't know where to turn. And I'm laying here in my bed at night and I haven't been able to eat. I can't sleep. I am in despair. But you, God. Those are such important words in this psalm. But you, God, are above this. But you, God, are faithful. But you, God, will not turn away. I don't have any ability, but you, God, are powerful. I feel all alone, but you, God, are faithful. I don't know what to do, but you, Lord, you sit enthroned forever. You are in charge. You are sovereign. My prayer for you today is that you and I will learn to cry out to God 
and push through the pain of our lives to the praise of our God. My prayer is that we'll learn to always say, but you, God, still sit on your throne. I know this is what's going on. I know where I am. I know what's happening. I know how I feel. But you, God, are still on the throne. You are still in charge. Your purposes, your plans will stay in place. You have plans to bless your people and to prosper them, not to harm them, to give them a hope, to give them a future. And God, you are working all things together for our good, to the good of those who love you, to those who are called according to your purpose. May we discover the God who is always faithful, and the God who is always enough. So in your worship, pour out your heart before God in honesty and transparency and express whatever might be there. Just be real. Be sincere. Be genuine. And as you do, look back and remember God's faithfulness and look forward, trusting God to be with you through every circumstance of your life. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you love us as you do, that you are faithful, even when we are faithless, even even when we have struggles maintaining our faith. We just despair. You are still there, Lord. You're still watching over us. You don't turn away. We pray today that we will remember your goodness, that we will remember that faithfulness and we will have confidence for the future knowing that we have a great God who is still on the throne, still in charge, still accomplishing your plan and your purpose in our lives. We pray for anyone here today, Lord, that is is, uh, discouraged, who's uh, come to this moment today, to this service with a broken heart. And God, I know you're speaking to them today uh, to bring hope, to bring a sense of safety and security in you. For you are our refuge. You are our rock. And we lean on you. We depend on you. Bless us all, Lord, in the future when we will reach those times, those circumstances that really turn our worlds upside down, but help us to remember that you're still there holding things together. You're still there working in our lives. Help us to be real and genuine in our prayers, Lord, to be honest, that our faith may grow and that our witness for you may grow in this world where so many people do not have this refuge, do not have this rock. Help us to bring you into their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.